murder, rape, sexual harassment. How could a human being commit such heinous acts on another human? While we may not know that answer, for months we've been hard at work trying to locate and take down these sick individuals before they hurt more innocent people, and in the long run, hopefully find the answers to that question. My name is Molly King, and I'm a retired private investigator for the Homicide Bureau. I have spent countless days and had many sleepless nights trying to identify the killer of this case I'm about to discuss with you. We get cases like this more than you want to know. A young innocent woman, raped and brutally murdered, happens far too often, truly sad. The worst part is that there is no decrease in the disgusting acts. Last week in Richmond, Virginia, a 22-year-old woman by the name of Dawn Bruce was brutally raped, sodomized, and murdered. The young lady's body was found on December 19, 1990, tragically by her own mother. The blade of a hunting knife was stabbed deep and directly into the heart of the woman, being held and dug in deeper until she bled out and eventually passed. Medical examiners revealed shortly after the death could have taken between 8 to 10 minutes from the initial stabbing. There was a whole sleuth of things that made this case a headache. There was no evidence of burglary, nothing was broken, and no foreign fingerprints. This made the search for the murderer a whole lot harder, by miles. I wanted to get to know the victim better, so the first step was to interview people that had known Dawn or had some sort of relationship with her. Our first interview was with Dawn's mother, whom had lots to say about her. I started off with a simple question. Was Dawn into any sports or extracurricular activities in school? Dawn was a musician and joined the symphony through auditions. She was such a talented girl. What about work? Did she have a job? Dawn worked as a phone operator during the day after college, and by night she was a waitress at a local diner down the street from our house. She wanted to be a volunteer firefighter. This gave me a good insight on the type of person Dawn was, according to the closest person to her, her mother. We were given a tip that a man across the street from the victim had been verbally abusive towards Dawn in recent times before her untimely passing. So we interviewed the neighbor that tipped us. You told me she was verbally abused. By who? The man across the street during the summer while Dawn would be washing her car, bringing groceries in, grabbing the mail, he would make inappropriate and often sexual remarks to her, basically hitting on her. She usually just ignored and carried on with her day. Did he ever come into contact with her? Try coming up to her, entering her house? No, I never came, it never came to that, just remarks being chirped from across the street. The private investigator working on the case was questioned next, giving us the most important information we had heard yet. Was there any evidence found at the crime scene? Yes, but barely any. There was no evidence of burglary, nothing was broken, and there were no foreign fingerprints. Do you have any suspects on your list thus far? Not in particular. However, the neighbor right next door had been convicted of attempted rape a few years back. We interviewed and printed him, though, in case we find any prints that could lead back to him. So, now we know that there are two suspects with only one having been interviewed so far. Shortly after the interviews, investigators at the crime scene reported groundbreaking news. The blood on the bedsheets of the victim had two critical pieces of evidence, an outline of a knife and a fingerprint. Along with those pieces of evidence was semen on the sheets. The first thing investigators did was take the print to the lab to try and synthesize it and match it to other prints. 
the neighbors included. This was more difficult than originally expected. Even with the use of the most modern technology that they had to offer, it was of no use. However, this did not stop the scientists in the lab from testing different ways of retrieving the print. Before we go into that, though, let me discuss the interview of the neighbor that was reported to have been sexually harassing the victim. His name was Robert Knight. We asked all the normal procedural questions. Who were you with during these times? Did you ever know the victim? Have you ever spoken to the victim? The answers are very important. Robert told us that during the time of the incident, between 3 and 4 a.m., he was with his girlfriend. So he took Robert into the station to ink his fingers and retrieve prints from him. Following up on his answers, we contacted Robert's girlfriend to see if he was telling the truth. He wasn't. We regurgitated his answers to her, and lo and behold, she revealed that she had not been with him at all that evening. This prompted the investigators to run blood work on Robert to see if it would match. Although the blood samples did not match, the semen sample matched. Robert Knight had type A blood, which was consistent with that of the semen sample taken from the victim's house. The man in the question was not going to be released and was arrested for the murder of Dawn Bruce. Yet, the prints still had to match. The problem was that there wasn't enough fridge detail in the fingerprints to make comparison to the prints on the pillowcase at the crime scene. Knight voluntarily gave a second set of prints, trying to prove his innocence. Thankfully, the fingerprint technology helped aid in matching the fingerprints using a technique that made out every fingerprint from nail to nail. This technique was referred to as Hocus Pocus technology. The image enchantment technology eliminated the fab fabric patterns and focused on the darker and lighter spots of fabric in between the blood and inverse both spots to create an opposite effect, imaging enchanting. Whose fingerprint does it belong to? After being accused of changing the fingerprint using computer technology, the judge that was assigned to the case was convinced that the computer enchantment did not change the fingerprint. However, the police still hadn't retrieved the murder weapon. Months after the case was wrapped up, a maintenance man working in the apartment previously owned by Robert Knight was believed to be working on plumbing and had to open up a wooden compartment to get to the pipes. Upon doing this, the man found a hunting knife in a sheath wrapped in a towel. Pretty suspicious. After the knife was handed over to police, they immediately ran tests on it and found that the pattern of the knife was compared to the knife pattern on the pillowcase at the crime scene and they both matched. After matching the prints, Robert Douglas Knight was charged with capital murder. Although the murderer was identified, arrested, and charged, the family of the victim along with investigators were disappointed in the sentence. In an effort to avoid the death penalty, which they believed Robert should have received, Knight pleaded guilty to the charges of capital murder and was sentenced to four life sentences behind bars. Now, it is easy to paint the picture of what really happened that night. Dawn Bruce got off of work and drove home only to walk upstairs and go straight to sleep. This was around 1 a.m. Sometime around 4 a.m., Robert Knight went to the front window of the apartment and pried it open, jumped through the window, and advanced up the stairs, creeping slowly with the hunting knife in his hand. After entering the bedroom, Robert stabbed Dawn in her heart and immediately started to sexually assault her as she bled to death. Thankfully, Robert added on to his mistakes by setting the blooded knife down on the pillowcase and leaving a partially blooded fingerprint on the bedsheets. 
At least he will never see the light of day again.